Now, I, I wanted to do these vows and I wanted to give you these Bibles because I want you to open them up to 2 Timothy and I want to preach for you men and I want to preach to you men and women. So church, it's going to be, it might feel a little bit like you're kind of looking in on a bit of a personal conversation here, and you are. Much of what I'm going to say will apply to you, and yet I've written this message, this sermon largely for these families in the front row this morning. Your charge, Larry and Trevor and Dave, is to carry the flame of gospel light for the formation of disciples. That's your charge before the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've got little kiddos with you this morning, we, uh, we love them and we are glad that they are here. If they get a little wily, because I know we're packing them all in here, and, and if they're getting a little crazy, feel free at any point. You're welcome to take them out and to, to just attend to their needs as you can. And so we just ask you to parent them actively this morning, but I want you to know that they are absolutely welcome in here. So just use your intuition, parents, and if they get crazy, haul them out of here for a few moments just so that we can focus as a church. You ready? Inflation. <laughs> Surging home and land values. Political polarization and idolatry. The record percentage of pastors thinking about quitting. Christian nationalism. People deconstructing their faith. Immigration. Defund the police. Colliding worldviews. Church scandals the end of Christendom, culture warriors demanding that we approve of their views on sexuality, gender, and race, to pronoun or not to pronoun, radical feminism, white supremacy, Roe v. Wade and the Dobbs decision, no-fault divorce, declining church participation, the Supreme Court, BLM, the rise and fall of Mars Hill, the NIC debacle, COVID, mask or no mask, school board protests, demonstrations at the homes of Supreme Court justices and local school board members in our communities, library censorship, library anti-censorship, kids stuck in foster care, domestic abuse, cultural Marxism, surging anxiety and depression and suicide, social media, and most of Oregon is begging to join Idaho. Now is a great time to be in gospel ministry. Gospel ministry is for every Christian who wants to be faithful to Jesus, who wants to be on mission, led by the Holy Spirit, joyfully generous and grateful to the Father. We have our work cut out for us, but our God is up to the work because he is faithful to his name and he displays his glory by powerfully working through his people. The mission of God, you guys, has made a church. The church doesn't just have a mission, but the mission of God to reach the lost has actually made the church. And the church of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, needs faithful men out in front, confessing our own sin, rejoicing in Jesus' gospel, teaching the word, forming and equipping disciples, protecting and defending his flock, encouraging evangelism, doing justice and mercy, and stewarding the resources the Spirit of God so generously gives to his people. We call these out-in-front men elders or overseers. Some people call you, us, pastors or shepherds. 
doesn't really matter what we call them as long as we know that we need them and that we follow them when they are faithful, that we encourage them when they are weak, and that we rebuke them when they are unfaithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of Jesus' apostles, Paul, he wrote two letters to this qualified but wet behind the ears new pastor named Timothy. Paul wanted Timothy to continue laboring and serving the church in Ephesus, where he was a new pastor, where so much gospel movement had occurred. And Paul wrote this list of qualifications to Timothy so that he would know the target that he was aiming for, and therefore how Timothy would know how to develop and to commission new elders and pastors who would oversee the mission of the church. And so Paul writes in 1 Timothy 3, I'm writing these things to you, Timothy, so that if I delay, you might know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. It's a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Paul understood that Jesus' church, the one that he died for, that he obtained with his own blood, was a pillar. The church is a pillar that's holding up the truth of the gospel, and it's also a buttress that would defend the gospel whenever the gospel comes under attack. Paul would continue in in 1 Timothy 3 to help him know what to look for in elders. And this is what he writes. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. You desire, you have desired. You are pastors, Pastor Larry, Pastor Trevor, Pastor Dave. You, You desire and have desired a noble task. Therefore, an overseer or elder or bishop or pastor must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, those who live in his home with him. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. David, Trevor, Larry. Each of you are this man. Not perfectly, but perfection isn't the requirement. You're realistically this man and with integrity. All of life has been waiting on you guys for at least seven years. And in church planting years, that feels a bit like since before the foundation of the earth. In life, you've each experienced major ups and downs. Not the same, it's not flat, but you have experienced your own ups and downs that have prepared you for this moment. And it's become blindingly obvious to me, to our provisional elders, to our church family, uh, that Jesus's plan for you involves serving his people by shepherding this people. Here's what some of these people have said. Trevor, someone says about you, I always feel heard by Trevor. He has always given me and my family time and attention when needed. Trevor has alongside Whitney 
on countless occasions, challenged my thinking where it needed to be challenged and has with great kindness pushed me to be a better follower of Jesus Christ. Could anything be better? His growth over the past few years has been phenomenal, another person writes. He's stepped up in huge ways within the church from starting and leading gospel communities to launching a youth group to stepping up and teaching on Sunday mornings. And he still has the time and the heart to intentionally and genuinely check in with just about everybody who walks through our doors. Larry, someone writes about you. Larry's character is impeccable. Very quick to listen, slow to anger, and always seeks to understand. He's a joyful person. There's rarely an interaction with Larry where I leave not feeling lighter and more joy in my soul than before I interacted with him. Larry is dedicated to the word and to studying it. He takes interpretation of the Bible seriously with care and with study, not flippantly. I admire this about Larry, this person writes. He is also sturdy. Not a person I'm afraid to do conflict with. I know that if I have a problem with Larry, I can approach him and I will be heard and also get to hear his perspective. Someone else writes about you. Larry radiates the joy of the Lord and is so quick to jump in wherever he is needed, whether it's to take over teaching kids, which he's always very prepared for, or to play with the kids or to wash the dishes. The list is endless. I've witnessed how Larry has intentionally invested in spreading the gospel and love of Christ with young kids in our church and is a remarkable mentor to those little ones. He has gone out of his way numerous times to love my family, particularly, this person writes, and minister to our needs. And I know there are numerous other families in the church who have experienced the same. Dave, someone writes about you. Dave is a sturdy and tough man with a very gentle heart which I believe our world needs more of. Men that are dedicated and men that are sturdy with their commitments and how they handle themselves, but also who are approachable, kind, and tender-hearted. Someone else writes, Dave is one of the most humble learners, appliers of the gospel message that I have ever had the privilege of meeting. He's like a sponge when it comes to the not-so-easy application part of our walk, and he will be the first to name his shortcomings and to work diligently with the prayer and support around those, of those around him to leave those burdens at the cross. You're a Christ-centered man. He is a prayer warrior, they write, and will always show up whenever and wherever there is a need, and we know this to be true of you. I echo and wholeheartedly affirm these observations. Trevor, it's been a joy serving with you over the last five years and seeing you come up into your own to develop humility and holiness and gospel courage to just rest in the grace of God given to you. I pray that the Holy Spirit will continue to anoint you with humility, with courage, with wisdom, with pastoral skill, and with power. Dave, it's been a joy seeing you and just getting to witness your hunger for God's word transform your inner life and work its way out into your relationships and into your, the way that you talk and the way that, you, the way that you, you, you treat the people around you, whether they're in front of you or whether they're not in front of you. Uh, it's put courage into me to see how the men and women of this church family look to you and give their respect to you. 
And so I pray that the Holy Spirit anoints you with humility and with courage, with wisdom, with pastoral skill, and with power. Larry, it's been so good to have a co-laborer whose ears and heart is always listening for the gospel and rejoicing in the gospel, redirecting conversations to the gospel. Your love for the people of God and your love for the wayward, your evangelistic zeal. I've heard from numerous people, you're the reason that they're back with the family of God. They're hanging on the scriptures. You have been that connection point for them. That, the way that you live, your love that you have for the family of God and for those that are outside of the family of God is a challenging call up to each one of us. I pray that the Holy Spirit continues to anoint you with humility, with courage, with pastoral skill, with wisdom, and with power. Here's what we're going to do for the rest of our time together. We're going to read all of 2 Timothy. Don't groan. This is God's word. We're going to read all of 2 Timothy with one another, and I'm going to briefly just draw some wisdom from this pastoral well. So I want you to interact with the scriptures, please follow along. We're just going to kind of roll through 2 Timothy. It's four chapters. If you're reading it at a medium pace, it takes about 10 minutes. I'm going to take a little longer than that, but not a ton, ton, ton longer than that. Page 935 in the Black Bibles around the room. If you're unfamiliar with the scriptures, just beeline straight to page 935. If you've got an app with you, turn it on, follow along. This is likely the last letter of the Apostle Paul's life. He's writing this in perhaps 67 or 68 AD. He's writing this letter to a young pastor in Ephesus named Timothy, and Paul is writing it from prison. He is about to be executed. History teaches us that Paul lost his head by the emperor of Rome. And this is a, a, a charge to Timothy. You could think of this as like a last will and testament, um, a job description to Timothy, but it's also to the church at large throughout generations. And so as we read these words, it's like we're reading someone else's mail because we are, but the way that the church has responded to this letter from Paul to Timothy has been that this is to the church also. This is, these letters, uh, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus are called the pastorals because they are pastoral charges largely from the Apostle Paul, two letters to Timothy, and one letter to a guy named Titus. This is what Paul writes to Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. He writes, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, focus in here. As I remember your tears, this older man is writing to a younger man. I long to see you. I long to be near with you, to be with you, that I may be filled with joy. That's the effect of these two men being together, joy. I'm reminded, Paul writes, of your sincere faith, Timothy, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I am sure or I am confident dwells in you as well. 
For this reason, I remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Verse 8, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel. How? By the power of God. Stop right there for a moment. Pastor Paul here prays for Pastor Timothy on a regular basis. He knows, Paul knows that Timothy is doomed if Timothy relies on himself. And so here's a principle for us. We pray for one another. We devote ourselves to praying for one another. Our role description as elders, pastors of a local church is to devote ourselves to prayer, to devote ourselves to God's word, to the scriptures, and to make disciples, to equip the people of God to make more disciples. Larry, you're an eye doctor. You got a new big E on your eye chart. The big E on your eye chart now is to devote yourself to prayer, to devote yourself to God's word, and to devote yourself to making disciples. I don't actually think anything has changed for you in becoming an elder. Part of the reason that you are an elder, a pastor of God's people, is because you have already been devoting yourself to prayer, to the scriptures, and to making disciples. That's the big E on our eye chart. A lot of things are going to come our way. A lot of things are going to tempt us, tempt, uh, uh, tempt us to neglect these things. Prayer, the scriptures, making disciples, and instead to devote ourselves to good things, but, but lesser things. We've got to remember Jesus Christ. We have to remember Jesus Christ. As Paul prays for Timothy, his own heart is warmed and he's reflecting here on um, Timothy's sincere faith. When you and I encounter people uh, whose faith is strong, who are authentic about their own ups and downs in their life with Christ, our own faith is warmed by our, by our interactions with them. And uh, our own faith in Christ is actually a legacy of somebody else's faith in Christ because somebody came to us and, and told us the good news and at some point we believed. And this is also true when others encounter us. You're leaving a legacy as you teach and as you equip and as you exhort and as you encourage and as you correct others also. Timothy here, Paul tells us, was a third generation disciple. Grandma, mom, Timothy. Do you know who will be your third generation disciples? Has God given you a vision for that? If you're not thinking that far ahead, plead with the Lord to give you a vision for disciple making that extends well beyond just the people in front of you, but beyond them to other generations. The best way to make third generation disciples, you guys, is to focus on making second generation disciples who make disciples. That's true for us too, church. Because genuine saving and sanctifying faith has been lit within Timothy, Paul reminds Timothy that is this gift given to him from above. It's got to be stewarded. It's got to be tended to. The flame of faith only burns when it's given fuel. You know if you've started a fire, the right kind of fuel and the proper placement of that fuel means everything to how well that fire burns. What kind of fuel will your faith continue to burn on? Not just in the highs, not just when things are going good, but when despair may creep into your soul, which it does. 
Timothy was commissioned by Paul through this sacred trust that we saw and we witnessed and we participated in just a moment ago, church, this laying on of hands. Laying on of hands, it's the solemn act of faith and of trust, faith in Christ, dependence on the Holy Spirit's power. And, and it's a moment. I want you to just think back to that moment where you were facing your church, where my hands were kind of moving uh, across your backs to each one of you. And I want you to etch that, mark that, engrave that into your memories. It's this moment where you have been set apart. You've been sanctified for a, a specific and specialized task for the pastoring of God's people. And so that moment, just right there in this room, as you mark that in your mind, this could be a very necessary memory that you have to call upon as trials and suffering come your way and tempt you to quit. Because they will. The temptation to, to shrink back from Jesus Christ due to our shame or due to suffering, it's overwhelming at times. More reason why being self-controlled is a necessary attribute and qualification for a pastor. Some elders will suffer more than others. Some elders are more resilient than others. Yet shame and suffering are the experience of all elders of God's people. And each has a different capacity to endure overwhelm. The power of God is the source that we all must call on and turn to continually in order to stay faithful to King Jesus who has remained faithful to us to carry forward and carry on our ministries and faithfulness. God in Christ has saved us and called us to a holy calling. Being an elder of God's people is unlike any other vocation, any other calling in the world. Our role and our charge from God is literally to guard the gospel of Jesus Christ, to proclaim it without alteration, to pass it on unchanged, undiluted to the generations who follow us. And it's all a gift. We didn't earn our way into this. The Lord seems to be doing some unique things at this time in you men. And I pray that he will continue to call more of you men forward into eldership. Let's continue reading here. Verse 9 of chapter 1. Paul is kept, he's sharing and suffering for the gospel by the power of God. God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. Jesus abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, Paul writes. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he, Jesus Christ, Father, Holy Spirit, is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. And so Paul writes, follow the pattern of the sound or healthy words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And here we see some reality of pastoral ministry. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. 
May we be like that to our friends. May we be that kind of friend. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service that he rendered at Ephesus. You then, Timothy, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Paul writes, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. Paul charges Timothy here to keep passing this good deposit on. We've talked about making disciples to the third generation, but here Paul is going on to the fourth. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That word for men there is anthropoi, which could be people. It might be men or women. Here's the idea. The task of disciple making and elder making does not stop. We don't just close the door around us and say, that's good, we're in. But we continue to make disciples and to call other faithful people up into gospel ministry. Paul uses three metaphors to describe what it means to be a pastor. He uses the metaphor of soldier, the metaphor of an athlete, and the metaphor of a farmer. So as a soldier, Paul warns Timothy to expect suffering, to embrace it, to share it. Every enlisted soldier counts the cost. They may suffer in war, or they may just suffer due to their military service. No matter their suffering, they are enlisted men, and they bear responsibility to fulfill their service to those who have charge over them. And they don't entangle themselves in civilian endeavors, which means that soldiers are men of focus and purpose and wholehearted devotion to their cause and to their commanders. Sometimes soldiers have to lead other soldiers into the discomfort of battle, and that will be true for you as well. You're going to have to lead your church through uncomfortable times. The Lord will use us for this, and he'll show himself faithful. Ronald Heifetz says, leadership is often a matter of failing people's expectations at a rate they can stand. Prepare yourself, in a sober word here, prepare yourself to live under the low grade and constant pressure of other people's expectations for you. The Holy Spirit has called you to stay focused on the gospel and to endure suffering for the sake of the gospel. Remember Jesus Christ. He moves on to this metaphor of an athlete, and he reminds us that athletes can only be victorious and win the crown by competing a according to the rules and according to the standards of competition. And so like soldiers, athletes suffer frequently also. Athletes in competition are often energized, fatigued, re-energized, discouraged, tempted to quit, and elated, all in the same match. Athletic competitions have an abundance of highs and lows, And so for us, the scriptures are our guide and standard for what we believe and how we live and the way we lead under King Jesus. Remember Jesus 
Christ. A final illustration completes this picture of pastoral calling and faithfulness. It's farming. Dave, you know something about this. You're learning something about this. Farmer Dave. Farming is laborious. It's ordinary. It's constant and entirely dependent on the sovereign oversight of God. The farmer has to, by nature of his task, he has to endure tedium. Fruitfulness doesn't come overnight. It comes in seasons. Long work with little evidence of fruitfulness eventually yields the bud, the shoot, the bud, then the flower, and finally the fruit, and the entire process depends on the Lord. The farmer plants seeds and waters soil, but it's God who gives the growth. These three illustrations, Paul will say, give Timothy and us much to think over and ponder, and as we do, the Lord will give us insight on how we conduct ourselves, how we devote ourselves to lead this community. As the lead disciple makers in this community, you have have to develop a long view mentality if you're going to survive and thrive. You have to develop a long view mentality. Patience when there's little fruit or no fruit. Patience when the fruit isn't fully ripe. And courage when some fruit is rotten and threatening the entire harvest. Remember Jesus Christ. May God give us wisdom. Paul writes, remember Jesus Christ, verse 8 of chapter 2, risen from the dead, the offspring of David is preached in my gospel for which I am suffering. Bound with chains is a criminal, but the word of God, Paul writes, is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things and charge them before God. One thing that we're always doing is reminding. You're going to feel like at times people are listening, and you're going to feel like at other times nobody is listening. And you're just wah, 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 and people are doing what they want to do. And yet, our charge is to remind and to remind and to remind. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands bearing their seal. Bearing this seal, the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable use. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. This is a call for us to come to Christ and to deny ourselves. 
set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So, men, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord, the church, the broad church from a pure heart, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come, there will come times of difficulty for people. The last days are not just our period of time. The New Testament writers have understood the last days began at the age, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That began the period of last days. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. It is a great time to be in gospel Avoid such people, Paul writes. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as John's and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all as that was, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me, and he will be faithful to you men also. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, I charge you, Paul writes, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not, have, will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. 
Paul writes, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight as a soldier. I have finished the race as an athlete. I have kept the faith as a farmer. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing, of which we we are included. Paul writes to preach the word. Quite literally, Paul is commanding Timothy here to announce the gospel that's at the center of both Old and New Testaments. To think of himself, to take on an inner identity as a herald, one whose call is to announce and to bring it forward. And there is no way to announce the gospel without words. We have to do it with language. May the Spirit of God equip us to not just be uh, eloquent in our speech. We do want to be that, but to not be deceptive, but to be straightforward men in the way that we communicate the gospel. Every verse of Scripture is, in some way, it's a road that leads to the gospel. And so our charge as men, as we look into God's Word and we try to teach it to others, is to find that road and to try to make that road as clear as we possibly can for those in our charge, for those who are teaching in any given moment. Pastors are to proclaim the message and be persistent, whether the time is favorable or whether it's a really bad time. Unfavorable. Our charge is to convince and to rebuke and to encourage with the utmost patience in our teaching. At times, it feels impossible to rebuke with patience. It feels impossible at times to encourage with patience or to teach in a convincing, persuasive way. You will be confronted over and over and over with your weakness. You're going to feel it in your body, and there are going to be times when you racked with doubt. How did I get here? I'm in over my head. What am I doing? Remember Jesus Christ. Remember the gospel for your own soul. Whether or not people are receptive to your pastoring, count the cost. Trevor, Larry, Dave, you're in this for the long haul, long view. You're not a pastor so that people will like you your elders and your pastors, because Jesus has set you apart for his service. And the aim of our charge is to please the one who has enlisted us. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. I'm proud of you. I'm thankful for you. God is putting courage into me because of you. And he's going to show himself faithful in a new season of our church's life through you. I'm convinced. But our work isn't done. We make disciples. We devote ourselves to prayer and to the exposition of God's word. Here's where we'll finish. Paul writes some personal instructions to Timothy. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone on to Thessalonica. You can hear pain in his words. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Paul's missing his friends. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for ministry. Paul and Mark had a sharp dis- dispute years previous to this, and this begins to show us and to tease out that these two men reconciled. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. There are going to be times when we send people out. 
And there are gospel goodbyes where they start a new work and we miss the regular fellowship that we have with them. Paul writes, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and also the books and above all the parchments. Paul is a learner. Pastors are learners. We too are learners. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be aware, beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. That is going to be true too. People will hate, will hate you on account of Jesus Christ. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. You'll feel like that sometimes. May it not be charged against them. Do you hear the echo of Jesus' words here? Hanging from the cross. Father, they don't know what they're doing. Please forgive them. And Paul too here, through his hurt, even Alexander the coppersmith, he says, may it not be charged against them. May they too, as horrible as they are and the, 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 the treachery that they've done to me, may May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Your charge is to proclaim the message of the gospel. Paul was rescued from the lion's mouth. He writes in verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Skip down to verse 22. The Lord be with your spirit grace be with you. The grace of God is upon you and it's upon us as a church family and we thank him for it. Pray with me. Father, what a moment. Thank you for giving this church, Trevor, Larry, Dave, Whitney, and Chris, and Tracy, Meredith, Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, help uh, our church to devote ourselves, not just the elders here. We're, the, we're, we're out in front, the tip of the spear, but Holy Spirit, would you anoint us, your people with power, that we would devote ourselves to prayer, that we would devote ourselves to the scriptures, and we would devote ourselves to making disciples and equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Would we be a people who are fiercely resolved to stay focused on gospel, community, and mission? Would you keep us, when I fall off the edge, and, and Dave and Larry and Trevor, would there be others who come up after us, leading your church forward, not just in this generation, but in generations to come? Would you protect us? Change our legacy however you want, however you see fit, but would you move your kingdom forward through us? We humble ourselves before you in Jesus' name. Amen.